Hey, John. Hey, Marcy. How's it going? You know, it's going. (laughs) It's going. (laughs) Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Pop Culture Theologians Breakdowns of Episodes 3 and 4 of House of the Dragon. I personally actually want to say thanks to everyone who paused and realized we took a week off. Um, I lost, uh, this is Marcy, I lost a friend, uh, like a close friend to suicide um, this month, and it was Suicide Awareness Month, uh, so shout out to everyone who does really good work on behalf of the work, right, for mental health, but I had to take a pause. Um, I lost a loved one, and it's been tough, but um, there's something so strange about loss, which is life keeps going, Um, and so we're here. And we're here to break down two episodes in one episode. Um, how do you feel about that, John? You know, Marcy, you're an amazing person. We love you. <laughs> I love you. And sometimes we just have to say, hey, we're going to take a pause. We're just going to put a pin in it. <laughs> we're going to we're going to put. I'm trying to create some oh, reference I- <laughs> to the episode, but. I was, gonna, I was like, if we're going to do office stuff, I can do this all day. I'm going to self-silo for a second. Um, but no, yeah, I, I feel like, um, I guess like if I was to not like, I feel really grateful for having a community, family and friends that gave me a lot of love and a lot of space uh, to process. Um, but also I'm like deeply, deeply aware that all of us, myself included, um, that struggle with mental health, right? Um, you just never know where someone is. Um, and so check on your folks, right? But also don't assume that like, just don't assume, make yourself available. Um, let folks know they're loved. Um, I think like a friend of mine was like, what can we do, right? Like, cause we've lost a few friends to suicide in the last like couple years. And I was like, I think what's so sad is the only uh, thing we can do, right? Is love them like where they're at, love folks where they're at and also give them their flowers while they're here. Right. So that, um, so that we create kind of like a, an ethic of care and love that allows and fosters for folks to feel seen, heard and held. Uh, so, but thank you, John, you were so kind, um, during the entire thing. So yeah, babes, we're in it together. We are in it together. Um, let me tell you who's, uh, weird segue you want to know who's really in it together i was gonna say uh <laughs> little snapshot for episode four everyone's in it together um what do you say john oh wait uh and we don't do political intros anymore not because we're not political but because if you're still listening to us you already know how we feel about everything going on but i did want to give a shout out to the fact that both Sister Wives and Handsmaid's Tale are back. Um, two dystopian tales of women with and without power. So it's what would like- it be like for us to like recap Sister Wives? Um, on I'm gonna be real honest. There's people who do it so well that like it's shoes that would terrify me. Um, I listen to so many Sister Wives podcasts, and for anyone who's like, really, I'm like, yeah, those are my Kardashians. Uh, if you go way, way back with us, uh, you know that John and I met in grad school. We went to uh, grad school to study religion. We did our masters and PhD work together. Um, 
nothing fascinates me more than American religion, which was John's specialty. Um, not mine. Mine was pop, pop critique in religion, uh, focusing on Catholicism, but American religions in particular, I find fascinating. Nothing fascinates me more than, um, what is the sister wives phenomenon? 17 years, this one man determined to show the world that polygamy works. And um, by God, did he fail at that? Spoiler alert. Amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, I, I don't even know how to say it other than. Um, Isn't he in prison? No, no, he is not. Well, I mean, I would say that he would say he's in prison. <laughs> because <laughs> he looks really fucking miserable um also so, get a haircut Ugh. i know i know it's 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 icky um all of it's icky uh they uh th- there's a lot actually of crossover of ick with sister wives and house of the dragon over the next couple of weeks um but yeah just like a really kind of cool week for pop culture with sister wives handmaid's tale but i think john we can just jump into breaking down these episodes what do you think I think it's time to ride the dragon. <laughs> that means something now, John. That like literally means Damon or Viserys. That means something. But um, bum. Are you ready to break down the episode, Marcy? I am. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's break down episode three. All right, John. So we're going to break down these two episodes. And what I think is really interesting is these were fascinating episodes, but not a lot happens in regards to what to cover. So we actually are going to make good time here covering the important stuff because we are in what I call pacing hell. Um, I'm going to say that if you were to ask me to rate episodes three and four, I would say I was not a huge fan of episode three, humongous fan of episode four. Could that have to do with the fact that it was directed by a woman? Maybe, but it's also, maybe, maybe, but it's also the pacing. So for those of us who are, uh, avid book readers with, with George R. R. Martin, we are building towards the beginning of the dance of dragons. And I did not think it would take five episodes to get there, but it looks like that's really how long it's going to take. So this episode three for me felt really slow. It was just like, okay, we're going on a hunt and Damon is going to go, you know, to the crab oil, right? Like, but he's going to go get a lobster roll. Exactly. Like, (laughs) so, so it's weird because like, I'm like, oh, that episode has nothing of note memorably for me, but then I also have to remember it's a pacing thing. Um, we open up right with, with Damon arriving on Caraxes to take on the crab feeder. We knew this was going to happen from the previous episode, right? Um, he arrives in style. He legit lands on a dude who was like, yes, my, my liberator. And Caraxes is like, thanks for your bones, dude. Um, and I think that's exactly how I picture like Trump. I think we should take this as a really good example of why we do not make heroes of, and I'm using air quotes, our liberators, right? So like the Caraxes landing on the dude who's like, that's it, I'm free, is the same way we are every time. Uh, Close your ears, 
John, but every time like an elected official is like, I'm here to save you. And it's like, you're not, but thank you. Uh, we're going to save ourselves with you. Cool. Okay. So, um, so demon, demons with the crabs. That's, that's what we need to know pretty much until the end of this like episode. And then we go to King's Landing where I don't know how you felt, but I thought we were going to see the Viserys Alicent wedding. And we don't. We're actually two years, probably two and a half years later. Like, and I was kind of like, ah. I, I really have always been fascinated kind of like by the culture and religion of the Game of Thrones house of the dragon world and so i thought that you know when we think about the old religion or the new religion or the religion of the seven here that we would have seen some of the targaryen ways in which they integrate that into it but all we get is like two years later and she's like pregnant pregnant, she's a kid she's got a gun um and i think to add salt to the wound right they released images because it was actually cut. It wasn't even that it wasn't shot. It was a hundred percent shot. Like if you Google, right, Allison Hightower wedding, you see the pictures, like you, her dress is like the um, pooflets. I don't know, Anne of Green Gables pooflets are, are dragon wings. And I'm just like, yeah, I would have actually really liked to have seen a wedding prior to the sparrows, prior, like that, that like has the seven, uh, that incorporates everything that we know about the old gods, right? And the new. Um, yeah, kind of disappointing, but okay. So she's a mom now. Allison is a mom. She's a mom. Uh, she's like, uh, it's it's just so fascinating. You're like, wow, your life sucks. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then Rhaenyra is still just Rhaenyra, right? And I think partially that's maybe what I was kind of like, oh, this feels a little wonky. And it was because- Rhaenyra looks exactly the same and so does Allison other than we know time has passed and she's pregnant um and yeah so I don't know I I, again this was not an episode that I that I loved but we've got Viserys celebrating right like he's like I'm ready to name my kid it's his naming day um we get kind of like a, a again a reminder that he's not a very good king Right. Like people are openly criticizing him to Allison, right. In the red keep, which I thought was really, that was a really interesting scene that felt to me like highly, highly modern. Right. Like they were like critiquing like his like inability to take on the crab feeder and all this other stuff. And like Allison's just sitting there. And I wonder if the reason it felt really modern is because it was a bunch of boomers telling like a, like, Z-lennial that like they were annoyed and like she's like completely powerless in that scene do you know what I'm talking about yeah it's one of those like can he not hear them yeah like I just I like the whole thing kind of just felt really really strange to me so but Viserys is talking to his people about the naming day and he's like where's Rhaenyra right he asked christian cole actually and no one knows where she is and then he's like where the fuck is rainiera and i feel like that could be the title of this um show in this episode uh but we get a scene again that feels like a zillennial or a little general 
right? She, we pan out like Sir Kristen Cole's out there looking for her, but we pan out to the weirwood tree. Um, and she's reading while the like loop player plays under the dragon's eye for her. And like, she just keeps put, putting him on repeat. She's doing the all too well, 10 minute version on repeat. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, she's reading military strategy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like she's, she's clearly going through, she's like, I think people misread her as apathetic towards her position. Whereas I think she's highly strategic and also she's just playing a different game there. Right. So Allison comes over, she's like, um, you should join us. Right. Like we were looking for you. Um, and so we get this constant theme of like Allison being like, Hey, we want you to hang out. We being her best friend and her dad who are now married and have children and Rhaenyra being like, no, I'm good. I'm good. But they do take a carriage over to one of the camps, I guess, where there's like a tourney, right? And Rhaenyra kind of just like stays behind. She makes a comment in the carriage even, like no one's here to see me. Like she's kind of like acknowledging that her position has changed, which like feels like a bit of an acquiescence on her part. Well, what we see is her really, I think, trying to understand her role in this whole narrative. And ultimately she's fearful that Aegon is dum 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 going to replace her. And she doesn't know how to exist in this world because she feels constantly walked over, left, and she hasn't found her own place. That's so funny because I read it differently, but I think you can read it either way. I read it more that she gives zero power to the situation around her. Like she's the heir apparent. She's been named that. She has the pledges of all of the houses of Westeros. And so like, she's just kind of like tapped out is how I feel like it reads. But like, I think as a viewer, you you can read it either way, which is really interesting. Um, I guess I would say that uh, I choose to read her as strong in her kind of apathy towards the situation, whereas you choose to view her as vulnerable. So we'll, well see. Right? We'll see. I feel like she's like the Charles III, right? <laughs> like, oh. I'm just going to sit here because everyone's <laughs> supposed to worship me. And she's actually kind of doing the thing that she should be doing. Like, she's like, no, like, I'm sorry. I'm the HBIC. We're, we get multiple HBIC quote, quotes from her over the next couple episodes where she's like, why would I give a shit? Cause like, it's our, I'm, I'm the heir parent or I'm this or I'm that or like, and it comes off exactly as annoying as it should. She's completely disconnected from the people and reality. And we, and, and they all are literally, they all are, but like Rhaenyra in particular, right. She's like a kid. Uh, she doesn't really leave this very protected bubble. And she's like, I literally don't have to give a shit about anyone thinking anything because I am, I, I, we, we haven't even talked about the queen, right? But like, I am the closest extension to divinity in this room, right? Aside from my dad. So anyway, they get to this uh, tourney hunt, right? We get to meet some folks that we've been waiting to meet. There's Jason Lannister with his brother, Tyland. Um, Jason like immediately is like, I want her for Rhaenyra. 
And um, she's like, uh, I'm good. I'm going to go drink. Right. He comes off really creepy. And I, and I have to say, I still think some of this is literally meant to feel very creepy. Right. Cause she does, she feels we, she's probably, I think like 17 in this, in this scene. So she is too young. Right. But also this is game of Thrones. And like these old dudes are a hundred percent, the audience from which she must pick a husband. Right. So later on when she talks to her dad, she was like, uh, I'm like, I'm just not like, I, I I'm not in it. Like, I don't want to get married. But the problem is she says it really loud. So your point earlier of can they hear us? 100%. 100 because when Rainier is like, I don't want to get married. She's like, um, yeah, oops. Yeah, no, it goes real quiet, right? And like Viserys does the thing, which you must marry, right? And like, this is weakness, right? Um, We could do so many parallels to like the current royals flexing their power while they bury their grandmother right but he's like you must marry and Otto's like maybe we don't scream right here right now right even though he benefits from it right because like up for grabs right now is the throne and who's who's like in line with a penis his grandson yep. right so then Sir Kristen like is like oh she's having like a really rough day let's let's go right and they go uh just to ride right to get out to 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 do the thing that you do when you are 15 and like throwing a tantrum, even though we know she's not 15, like throwing a tantrum, just go walk it off. Right. And you walk it off with your best friend who tells you how his life was way worse than yours and like totally makes you feel better. Right. And she's like, Hey, let's go. And she was totally content to go out by herself. She was, she was, I feel like this is the first time we see um, some of the closeness between them be a little bit more intimate right so clearly from the first tourney he asked for her um to shower him with like her approval she picked him because she uh she was like he's the only one who's even got the bare minimum skills but also like they'd caught each other's eye but this is the first time we see them go to bat for each other which is when she was like i'm gonna go walk this off because you're being an asshole to her dad he's like i got you let's let's go ride meanwhile viserys is on this like mythical hunt to catch a white heart, right? Which is um, the, I was going to say, oh gosh, I'm like losing the word for it from Harry Potter. The Patronus, it's it's a white stag. Uh, It is a Patronus and it's apparently like a really good sign from the gods, particularly on a name day, right? Um, And so they're off to go find the white heart, um, which clearly a a ton of symbolism there, right? Everything from the stag to the pureness of the white, um, of the white, white heart. I'm using air quotes for the term they use also to like, I was like, oh, they're totally setting this up so that he catches it. Right. Which made me realize that everyone but Viserys knows that, right? Everyone but Viserys knows that like everything around them is constructed for them to feel a certain way. Um, and that's what makes you either a good or a bad king or queen, right? It's knowing that the pageantry is a show or do you center yourself? Viserys, much like Charles III, centers himself, right? And um, 
and doesn't really understand all of the pageantry, but also all of the like chess playing that's going on around him. Right. Um, So like any man. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, I think like maybe that's why I was so annoyed with this episode. I was just like, this episode is so predictable, but not because it's bad writing, but because this is no, no, actually all offense men because men are so basic. So basic. Like every chess piece Otto's moving makes sense. Like when, Jason, is it Jason Targaryen, right? Yeah, Jason Targaryen's like, I want to marry your daughter. I like your daughter. No shit, dude. We know, right? Like when he's like, I mean, clearly she needs a place to go now that you have a son, right? I it's just, it's again really predictable. And then what is not predictable, right? Here is Viserys's fierceness at saying, I don't understand. Rhaenyra is next in she's the heir apparent. Like I I want her to be happy, but also she's the heir apparent. Like, get your fucking shit straight. Like, don't ever come at me again with disloyalty. So, like, he sets, like, a really strong kind of barrier there, which is, like, you do not question her legitimacy to the throne, period. My son, my son will be fine, but he's not going to be king. Yeah. Right? Um, And you see Otto take this moment in with Jason and be like, ooh. And then he's like, you know, we do have to marry her off, right? What if, and John, tell me this was not like, well, when he's like, what about Prince Aegon? You know, the fact that they like talk about them in this way, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like I was seeing that meme of Drake, like going like, nah, just like Cersei and Jamie. But when it's like <laughs> Damon and Renera, they're like, mm, maybe. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I totally. Like we, we are in uncharted territory for tv right with with the incest storyline incest back (laughs) (laughs) it's just it's really it is funny because like dr oz (laughs) we were all like absolutely not with like rhaenyra and prince aegon who by the way is two we're like no when it's her and damon we're like well we're like well i mean you know are they second cousins? Because if they are, Dr. Oz would consider it's like, fine. Right. And I would say even with Danny and John, a bit of an ick factor remained for, for most folks that it this show is just really towing the lie on that the line on that I think is really funny, right? Um, so anyway, we are in this hunt, right? And we're looking for the white hearts. And you know what happens? We don't get it. We don't get it, which is really interesting. We get a different stag. It's not white, which then Viserys is asked to ram his fucking knife into, right? And I I fast forwarded through the scene. I think so. I want to say that I thought that was it was a really powerful take on the symbolic tourney. So him not getting what everyone around them thought he like 100% they were going to get right which means scouts had spotted the stag they were like we've got it we'll hand it to him and not only them not finding it but having a king who 100% believes in signs in in premonitions in prophecy realize he didn't get the white stag for his son and then the um brutality of him having to stab it there's nothing mythical about it right he's like slaying a stag with like a the the lannisters gave him like a solid gold like pike right and like it's just like a really 
dis like it's it's a really gross scene, but it's also meant to make us feel the way Viserys must have felt, which is, yo, I'm right about Rhaenyra. The White Stag 100% did not appear here, right? Like, like and and if he appear. only knew, it appeared towards her. Did you catch the very? I mean, maybe it's because I'm going through my like Royals rewatch in many ways. But like, if you remember the movie The Queen with Helen Mirren, Oscar-winning role, classic. Um, do you remember when yes. they this talk about the stag? Because the stag serves as this like circle of rep, like this symbolic reverence point, right? And that when it dies, she is completely distraught about it because that is the emotional tool that is used to kind of drive the symbolism home and i just kept seeing that the whole time with regards to viserys and royalty and this heart or whatever that they were chasing so we i think are at a really interesting moment where real life is paralleling a show that was written about the ancestors of our current royals, right? So y'all, if if you have been paying attention, I've read stuff, but also listen to us. This is the War of the Roses. This is 100% um, the, the, the rise and fall of like the British monarchy during that time. And uh, it is so heavily mirrored in the current that it is really funny that like we're even having some of these discussions where it's like oh these cousins i'm like literally the queen was married to her cousin right um will and kate are even distantly related right so like um just really like it is really interesting um the stag again has such symbolic power in our mythical storytelling that we see it in everything from harry potter fuck you terps to the crown right and we see it come up here why it's a really powerful symbol of protection power um of of chosenness right stags are so rare that to have an encounter is for you to have been offered to a certain extent like a mercy by nature like a an icu moment right which is what would have made the white stag a really strong symbol for aegon if that had happened but it didn't but um, it did for rhaenyra it did for rhaenyra so Kristen cole and rhaenyra are out there um at first they we think kiki. Gonna, i know they're having a kiki in the woods and at first we think oh the the stag's gonna appear and it's actually a red herring we have this like hog this wild hog that attacks Rhaenyra, right? But uh, Christian Cole just like slices right through it, goes real close to her, by the way. I was like, oh, I probably should not be trusted to stab something over someone because I would totally misread the depth and take you out with it. But he saves her life from this wild hog, right? And they are kind of on this adventure and i'm like wait are princesses allowed to have like overnight adventures with like the celibate like knights i guess i don't know i don't know the protocol um i wish i did know the protocol because is, po- is there an hr policy for this right can we talk about this because it seems like uh and a friend of mine was like well we we need to think of the the, the, we need to think of them as like celibate monks who are and I'm like I don't know what Catholicism you grew up with but the type I grew up with none of them celibates were celibate so like I don't understand what none of them mean. celibates were celibate none none so I was like I guess she gets to have a sleepover and while they're having their sleepover you know having that adrenaline high of like 
we just survived a hog attack and like I feel seen and like fuck my family. Um, Viserys is freaking out, right? And Allison is keeping him company and and you know he he keeps dreaming about a male heir, right? Um, a male heir and like, but he dreams about it within the context of like that obsession with the male heir led him to kill, you know, his first wife. And he's like, what if I was wrong? Like, what if there is a male heir? So I want, I want this to live in the parallels that will primarily make up the dance of the dragons. Right. So we as observers are watching two people receive completely different storylines. Right. So Rhaenyra has only heard her dad be like, yes, that she is heir apparent. It's going to happen. We're good. Allison is legit sitting right next to him. And, and like, he's like, I'm having dreams about a male heir. What if I'm wrong? Right. Like, so these two women have two very different images of where Viserys fell along the line of who is next in line for the throne. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think ultimately for Rhaenyra, like her father no longer became her father when I think she knows what he did to her mother in that way. And then like for Alicent, you know, it's this innocence that she has to portray because she's playing a different character at the same time while still a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we're, I mean, we're, we're going to get the, the glow up in episode six, the grow up. Um, but I just think it's really important to acknowledge that um, this book was written with unreliable narrators. There's multiple narrators in the book. My favorite being um, the dwarf mushroom who gives all of the juicy bits, right? Like one of the narrators will be like Rhaenyra snuck off and, and played around in, in King's Landing. And then mushroom will be like, she went and fucked the fuck, like went around and did a fucking find out y'all. Like it was not just snuck around. Like I love the way the, the book writes the instability of the narration, because I think the show is struggling a bit to actually show that. And the dance of dragons doesn't happen without them all misreading what the game is. So it'll be interesting to see if episode five is able to pull together all of the threads to end up with two women who have a very different perspective on what happens next, right? So Sir Rhaenyra and Christian Cole, they're talking about like the realm. Will anyone ever accept her as queen? This is the next day. And he kind of says like, of course they will, like they have to. And then it gets really quiet. And like you said, like we, we end up seeing the white, the white heart, the white stag, and we, the viewer, again, an unreliable narrator now, we've got multiple, we're the only ones who hold all of the threads, are like, oh, she's the one who saw it. Like, she she's gets She's the chosen one. We are now aware that what happens from here on out, we have to remember that Rhaenyra is the one, right? And so we at ourselves will be disappointed. Of, right. At least from the perspective of symbolism, right? Yes. Um, Right. I don't, I think uh, if Game of Thrones one taught us anything, it's all prophecies. Don't get invested. And all prophecies can just be disregarded. Right. Um, However, I do think it's important that again, we are like, oh, and then she never tells her dad that she saw it. Right. Which would make, would have made a world of difference, world of difference. If she had said like, dad, Sir Christian Cole and I were definitely not fucking on a mountain and I saw the white heart and it came up to us and he was going to kill it, but I let it go free. 
I let it go free, which is important because I think that speaks to a certain thing about Rhaenyra, which is she, unlike her father, was able to take the moment and own it. Whereas he was forced to stab the Whiteheart adjacent stag, right? In this horribly awful performance. You know, she didn't let Sir Christian Cole kill it where she could have brought it back, right? Over her shoulder. Talk about a badass movement to be like, yeah, my brother who? Who? But she didn't. She let the power go. And I think that's like something we put in our pocket that we know about her, right? We just, we know that about her, right? Um, so back at the tourney grounds, right? There's more grumbles about the crab feeder. And there's actually news that like they're they're in bad shape, right? Um, so Viserys decides to actually send aid finally, right? And um I I think it's like a an interesting moment because it's like I don't think he sent aid strategically, he sent aid, he sent aid because he cares about his brother. Yeah. Is that how you felt? I felt that he was finally able to see Jesus, meet Jesus a little bit here. <laughs> I just think it's like the maybe he finally started listening to the very loud conversations, right? And he was like, oh, okay, cool. I also uh, think that he's calmer now. Like, I think he had that moment of realization in the woods. And for a moment, he's okay-ish. And he knows what he has to do. Yeah, no, exactly. So him and... They get into, like, another tiff of, like, you don't want me to be queen? And he's like, yes, I do. And Rainier and him have the the usual squabble. Like, again, I'm not particularly interested in it because it's just, this is all filler to getting to this end, right? Where Damon is still at the, the um, at the beaches. He's fighting. He's got Caraxes. Um, thousands of men have been delivered to aid um, him in stopping the crab feeder. And we get like a humongous like battle sequence. And if everyone's here to hear about battle sequences, I don't break those down. It's a battle sequence. Was it beautifully shot? Sure. Yes. Did it have dragons? It had dragons, uh, dragons that burn everyone to the ground. The crab feeder runs into a cave. Damon's like, not on my watch. More fighting. And eventually he comes out with like half the crab feeder's corpse in his arm, lifts it to the sky. And he's like, I did it. And the, <laughs> and the and you know I think the thing that we see here is that one it's a beautiful battle scene shot I will say like Damon does prove like he walks into one episode he we see him in a way throughout these last couple of episodes and then at the end of this episode he's a different person in a sense right learn more about that if that's true in the next episode but what we've seen here is actually the power of the Targaryens and their allies. And ultimately what we do see is Damon as well as then, you know, the sea snake and everyone else overruling and overturning this tide on a whim and the effectiveness that the dragons play, but ultimately how much they can harm them because we see that they can't just go in there and win every battle with a dragon. It's not possible. These godly like creatures and they do have to get dirty a little bit and they definitely got dirty on this one. 100%. Um, 
For those who are paying attention to details, we noticed in this episode that the crab feeder was wearing a mask, a half mask that looks like the Sons of the Harpy. So hearkening back to Essos, which we had discussed before, but like we really get a snapshot of it when Damon's holding his corpse, right? I will say, and my brother and I talked about this, it was a little weird to set up the crab feeder as kind of like this season's baddie to then feel it literally end like two episodes in, three episodes in. Um, but then I remember that I bitched and complained when we started this episode about, um, pacing and timing. And this is not a story about any wars. This is a story of a family self-destructing. So right on, let's take out the baddies and move on to episode four. And the beautiful dragons. I will say I enjoyed it. I know, right? I, (laughs) I'm obsessed with them. (laughs) But as I said to a friend, do not get invested yes i i saw it uh so i don't know if folks have been paying attention to some of the casting news there's rumbles of of folks coming on for casting for season two there's rumbles of potentially elizabeth olsen as a melisandre which i think is it's still a rumor but that would be amazing melisandre would 100 percent be around during this time so uh makes makes sense uh Henry Cavill has also been talked about, but people on on TikTok, on Twitter, TikTok is too smart. On Twitter, we're like, we what? They're just going to replace Matt Smith? My children, my younglings. No one is being replaced in the show. No one. It's just no one's making it alive out of this show. For the love of God, if you have watched Game of Thrones, you know that the entire premise that we start off with is Danny is the last of the Targaryens. Her and her brother. Uh, and then they ain't around (laughs) right and then just her and then just her and her nephew right Um, (laughs) just don't like just just don't right i i would honestly i would tell you to hold on to the dragons because they lived for 200 years but this is also the dance of the dragons because this is where we lose the dragons um right the eggs that we meet danny with right are petrified eggs they're just a symbol of what the Targaryen family was. No one has, no one in living memory has seen a dragon when we meet Danny. So, and this, that's like a hundred and something years before, which means y'all, everything's about to go down. So like, again, give people their flowers while they're here. If you love a character, buy their Funko now, because you might not be able to in three weeks because it will be a collector's item. Buy their Funko now. That's can, the title of this episode. Yeah, you can, you can pay me later, Funko. Um, okay, so episode four is an interesting episode. It was beautifully shot. It is the first episode I have gone to see with my partner, my, my husband Brent, and my brother on the big screen. We have a movie theater that plays these on the big screen on Sundays. It is incredible to watch this on a big screen, y'all. It feels so different. But I wish I hadn't picked the soft porn one to be the one that I went and watched. You mean, (laughs) unlike the characters in the show, you don't want to watch that stuff with your brother? It was just, I was like, of course, this is the one I pick. And like, I had said to both Brent and my brother like I feel like this is going to be a good episode because I knew that we were building up to the Rhaenyra is a hoe right which takes a bit in the books I did not think that they would shove all of Rhaenyra is a hoe uh and and pro slut culture into one episode so uh yeah no it was it was definitely a it was it was funny but it was it was a really good episode um again an episode that is 
for the most part filler. The only thing we, the only major points from this episode that we need to get is Rainier is unapologetically pro, like pro sex now. And two, she may be casting her net a little too wide. Uh, that that's if I was to say like two takeaways, those are the two, right? But we start off this episode, which her dad has th- thrown another tourney again. War of the Roses. They fucking love their tourneys, right? And she's got this long line of dudes coming in, uh, old dudes, young dudes, little dudes, big dudes, to be like, hey, I want to be your husband, right? Um, And then there's like, there's like people watching this all happen who heckle it, which is incredible, right? But she's just not impressed by anyone. Probably the loudest laugh when I saw this at the theater was there was a young boy who offers his house, right? The Blackwoods um, to, to, to her and to be her husband. And she's like, nah. And then the, um, the heckler calls him a cunt and everyone dies laughing. And then my little man from the Blackwoods guts this dude. Guts this dude like a fish. (laughs) He is. And she was a little turned on by that. She was like, okay, I see you boy. Look, it's not every day that we see someone defend their honor against a heckler like that, right? Um, it was definitely a Lady Mormont moment where I was like, I love when the writers take just that tiny bit of bre- like brevity and let us have that laugh, right? But then we learn that like Rainier legit is out. Like that tourney was supposed to last months. It lasted like three days. She is back on the boat, heading home. She's telling Kristen Cole, like, it's cool. I'm going to tell my dad. It's just not going to happen. Like, I'm good. And it's like everyone around her is like, she can't do that. And again, she is fully embodied. She's like, I can 100% do that because my name is Rhaenyra. I am going to be the queen of the seven kingdoms. And I don't give a shit what anyone says, right? Uh, And then suddenly we hear a noise. And who is it, John? Who is it? It's it's Daddy Damon on Caraxes. I know, Daddy Damon. It's so funny. Yeah, he flies. Uncle Damon. Is that too much? I know. It's just I don't want any of them, but I do. I. I mean, I'm okay with Matt Smith. I mean, like, okay. Very much like when I watched um, Crimson Peak, like where I was like, this isn't right, but like this movie is definitely going on my top ten. So yeah, he rides over her boat with Caraxes. It even knocking her out, right? And everyone's like, oh no. And she's like, fuck yeah. You just see her be really excited that he's home. Right. And then you realize like, she doesn't have a lot of people that she calls her own. So him coming makes sense to make her like really excited. And he comes in like a badass, right? Like he comes in, he drops all of the crab feeder shit and he's wearing a crown. Right. And Viserys is like, why are you wearing a crown, bro? And he's like, well, they made me the king of the narrow sea, bro. And like, I'm like, oh, oh, is this going to get spicy? And he's like, but no. The girls are fighting. I know. But then he's like, no, there's only one true king. And he like kneels. And again, everyone knows this is all a performance. But Viserys, Viserys is like, oh, my God, my brother, like a total badass war hero. And he's giving me his little crab crown. And it's like, Viserys, why can't you die of tetanus soon enough? Um and that's also something we do have to take into consideration. Like in the last episode, I'm it's very clear 
and this episode especially that the tetanus the tetani is getting to <laughs> is getting to him in a way it's in the bloodstream now tetanicated right now like he is not in good shape um but he's like my brother my brother the hero and it's like no no dude um but he does ask like hey is lord corliss with you and Damon's like, no, he's sailed off to Driftmark. Mm-hmm. And he totally left the Stepstones to the sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are supposed to read into that, that like, that is definitely not the truth. But Viserys is like, thanks, man. That's great. Everyone clap, applaud and cool. Cool. So he, he lets his brother back in. He comes in a hero. Clearly there is no no threat with the sea snake, none whatsoever. No reason to think there's a threat. Um, so then we're out in the garden, right? Everyone's like, oh, Damon's back. He got a haircut. Look at him. He doesn't look like a deranged mass murderer. He looks he fine. He glowed up. He glowed up. And uh, Rhaenyra finally gets uh, to c- kind of close to them, right? And there's something weird. Like Viserys is oddly dismissant of both Allison and Rhaenyra in this scene. Rhaenyra, I understand because she just came back saying fuck your tourney, but with Allison, it was like, I thought, again, I don't want to play favorites in the sense of like, I think I've been really clear that I'm obsessed with Rhaenyra. I love the Targaryens. Like, I'm, I'm clearly rooting on a team here, but the teams are about to become the same. They're all Targaryens, but with Allison, it's harder because she's a high tower, and I'm like, I, I I don't even know who this man is. My apologies to this man. But this is a moment where you see how young she is, right? Because she's like, maybe Damon would like to look at the drapes or the tapestries and whatever, whatever, whatever. And Viserys is like, yeah, maybe he'd like to look at tapestries. And it's such a mean moment that it manages to do what the past three episodes are not able to do, which is to bring Alicent and Rainier back together and to just kind of have them like speak to each other, right? Yeah. Um, and, and to truly talk yeah 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 yeah. Uh, a reminder to men that the shittier you are the more likely we are to go be lesbians together cool cool um so Rhaenyra like talks to Damon as well right and they kind of like talk a little bit and we get we get kind of like the sense that like she needs someone to pour out her heart to, which is she doesn't want to get married. She's terrified of ending up like her mom. And this is where we get an understanding that Rhaenyra, when she says she doesn't want to marry, what she's actually saying is, I do not want to die in childbirth. 2022 called and it wants its 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 entire message back. I didn't think we'd have one of the most proactive reproductive justice episodes during House of the Dragon, but I guess... <laughs> They have been again the fact but maybe it's because it's directed by a woman as well, and they clearly have some subtext here that she's trying to put out. Beautiful subtext, right? And so Damon understands because he's her uncle, not her contemporary, that she has that childish understanding of sex, of marriage, and also that she lived the worst possible scenario, though she's not wrong that it is the most probable scenario for most women, right? That they would eventually die. And, and yes, uh, he even here in America in 2022, the numbers are overwhelmingly too high that women, and even more so Black women, die in childbirth. Yep, 100%. Um, yeah, no, this episode, 
get super timely, right? Uh, so I, we know in that moment that Damon's up to something in his head. He's like, oh, this child needs to, she needs to grow past these kind of childhood fears and also childhood fantasies of what being a grown up is about. Um, back to the king. Uh, we have a scene where he finds out that dun dun dun. Um, not everything is cool with the stepstones. Maybe don't listen to Damon. Uh, the crab feeder's gone, but Corliss took over the island, right? The entire chain of islands, and he did it pretty much as a rebuke to Viserys, like as a fuck you. Like you were supposed to marry my daughter, you spurned my daughter. I take these islands. Um, so Viserys is advised like, hey, you need to make peace with the sea snake, um, which is a, a little heads up of, of, of a card he has in his pocket to play against his daughter, right? Um, so then we get to the, the core of this episode, which I would say is a dance of Slutton. It's a dance of Slutton. And it's, it's, we have both of our episode titles now. Buy Your Funko Now and Dance of the Slutton. This is what happens when I have not slept and I'm super tired. And the truth is, that's just what this is. We have this beautifully shot rest of this episode, pretty much. up into, I'd say this episode is an intro, the Dance of Slutton, and an outro, right? And so we have Rainier come into her room that night, you know, and she finds a little paper with a little boy outfit. And we know, I don't know about you, but I knew exactly what was about to happen. Did you? Oh, yeah, we knew she was about to get into some trouble. Trouble, right? And this ain't so, no divine <laughs> secrets of the Yaya sisterhood trouble. No, no. Trouble. Not, this is not a pair of jeans that we can all wear like the sisterhood. Of the Which does <laughs> not exist. That movie makes no sense at all. <laughs> Good American jeans would like to disagree with us. Uh, but... She heads out, dressed like a little little boy. She finds her uncle, and they go off into the night. Right, he takes her into the city. We see we see through her eyes. Her first time seeing people have sex, uh, people get killed, not in a tourney, and people be drunk and messy. Right, um, they watch a play, which this is really really common. If you watch any of the stars shows on the war of the roses so the white princess the white queen the spanish princess any of those every single season has a has a scene where one of the rulers accidentally makes it outside and watches them um pretend, like do a play about a play life. within a play yeah like and that's how they find how out shakespearean how shakespearean um how the how the folks feel about them and i think this is the first time rainiera's ever really had to contend to your point earlier with she's super entitled, but that doesn't mean that people want her. That doesn't mean that she is at all connected to what people think and how, what it means to be a ruler. And this is one of the few times we see what Damon's actual strength is, which is he's incredibly strategic. And he is also aware that a king must king, right? They must have the loyalty and love of their subjects, of their court right and of their um allies and so and it's an important plot moving piece right because ultimately just like in game of thrones rest in 
you know, power. Well, she's not dead. So spoiler alert. But, you know, Arya, when she's been so far removed from the main narrative that we watched for seasons, and when she finally sees when she's, you know, trying to become little, you know, um, baby killer, as we called her, you know, the, the assassin, little baby assassin, she finally sees what happens in the Westeros world by that play when she understands who's dead, how they die, what's going on, what do the people think? She gets like a history lesson and these plays serve that integral moving part to help our characters kind of move forward with what they need to be seen as. Right. And Damon's watching her while she watches this. It's the first time she hears that the commoners are like, I want Aegon. Right. And she gets pissed and she runs. Right. She steals something very Princess Jasmine-y. Right. Where she's like, oh, food, I want it. And it's supposed to let us know. She legit has never even thought about money. Right. Never, ever. Whereas, you know who has? Allison Hightower. So, again, building up these two women as kind of the front facing um embodiments of the blacks and the greens which my guess is we will understand that blacks and the greens for those of you who haven't read next episode but anyway she runs she princess jasmine's a piece of i don't know um turkish delight and then they end up at a brothel right um and this this is i want to say it was clearly planned by damon but she did run i don't think I don't know. Do you think Damon was purposely taking her to a brothel? Yes. I think Damon has known and she's known what's going on. And like with Damon, I think this is all he knows. And I think that when he goes outside these red keep areas, what he's doing and, you know, I think ultimately they've had this chemistry that, they've both grown up. I mean, it's been several years since they've actually seen each other. Right. I mean, the last time they saw each other is when she wrote in, you know, with all of her, you know, BDE and, you know, said, give me the goddamn egg back (laughs) and that's it. Right. And then he went on a hissy fit. So they definitely have some unrequainted feelings at the moment. For sure. So we get this like one camera shot feel through the brothel through i'm guessing what i have not been to a brothel in king's landing in a while so correct me if i'm wrong john but like we walked through what are the more kind of acceptable rooms all the way down to what i'm assuming was the orgy room and rainira instead of being like huh i'm in an orgy room with my uncles like i think this is so badass let's make out right and they kiss and they kind of fool around and then suddenly he goes poof and he's gone yeah well the thing is is and i think they allude to this he is impotent and he couldn't get it up so i i'm gonna say yes and yes and is something i do with my clients all the time yes and i actually do think that there's a part of him that was like no i think he was just weirded out by it and kind of like i don't think his intentions were to have sex with her in that orgy room even if he could like damon very similar to uh, the royals we know. Protocol is important, but so is there. I think Damon, even more than Viserys and Rhaenyra, understands the power of the royals being kind of mysterious and unattainable. Nothing would make them less mysterious and unattainable than them having like random sex in an, a, what is it like, flea bottom, like 
uh, brothel. So I think it's both. I think one, he, we do know he's imp- not impotent. He has ED because he actually, he can have sex. He can, um, yes. Yes, and he can have children, but he has some weird hang up and it just never gets up. But also I'm going to just throw out a bone for him and say, I also think it was just not right person, wrong place, wrong time. So back at the Red Keep, right? We're with the king. He's um, he's in a bathtub. He's the tetani. Uh, it's like is, a milk of the poppy tub. Yeah, which like, sign me up. Ugh, it's so sign gross, me though. up for the bath. No, man, that that is one heck of a that is one heck of a bath. But clearly, he's in a significant amount of pain, right? And also, again, Allison, who is playing the game only person in the room playing the game tells everyone to leave because like Damon, she understands that royalty needs to look a certain way. The king needs to look a certain way. Feeble in a milk of the poppy bath with like half his fingers left, right? A rash all over his body that makes my skin crawl. Like, no. So she dismisses everyone to take care of him herself. Not because I think she gives a shit about him, but because she understands that her only connection to power is through her husband eventually through her son right but um so she later we get like a we get a snapshot of her kind of getting ready for bed in like a gorgeous 1980s like double set i was like i would like to i would like to wear that to bed and then one of the servants walk in walks in she's like you just know that he's asked for her and she's like i don't think so and the servant's like i think so and then we get um, very similar to the tourney shot where it was the gutting of the men at the tourney at the same time that uh, Lady Emma was getting, I mean, she was dying, right? We get both the Rhaenyra and Alicent sex scenes at the same time to show us what power and agency can look like and how fucked up it is, right? Like Alicent, has this moldy three-finger old man on top of him. <laughs> with tetani. With tetani. And she's just like, ugh, right? And then we see Rhaenyra. And then did you see that part, though, when he looks at her and she, like, fake smiles? That was creepy. Well, and again, like, we're talking about power. And we're talking about, like, this is the most powerful woman in the realm, Right technically aside from Rhaenyra and like she's still having to just lay there and pray to God that that rash is not grayscale or dragon scale like oh and then we get a sense again I think we're doing some justice here to fucking Rhaenyra who's like fuck my life and like she's literally out there doing whatever the fuck she wants tonight right so like I think we're supposed to see this dichotomy of the two paired up against each other and be like man like maybe Rhaenyra should just chill the fuck out for a second because like it could be way worse. Her dad has literally said, "Marry whoever you want for love." I don't care. Yeah, her shit. dad's really cool. not so bad. If I'm not gonna lie, right? He's been like, "You can be queen. You will be queen." Uh, whereas Alicent was sold off like unwittingly to like at a young age to someone who was a father figure, and she legit has to say yes to this raggedy ass ride and like being sold off though is one thing but then she's also being sold off and you could say they're the same thing but i think the problem is is that she is being used as a chess piece 
so blatantly by her father and she knows it. And he also sold her off. Right. Both, both. Um, And she'll come into her own because again, soft power is still power. Queen Elizabeth, soft power is still power. She is the mother of the only son of the king, right? She will be, uh, she will always be that, right? But still the scene itself is like, I'm like, who would you, if it's a, who would you rather? The uncle's always going to win. Because, ugh. But here we get a scene very, very much meant to remind us of the sparrows of, of King's Landing that we know. Otto has, um, Otto has spies with, what is it? The white worm? Is it the white worm? Yes, it's the white worm. And it's kind of like their version of um, Varys. Yes. Um, and also we know the white worm. We find this out at the end of the episode. But the white worm informs Otto of any misdeeds. He gets the little boy who saw Rhaenyra coming out of the brothel being like, shit, man, I lost my ride. Now I have to make my way back, right? Um, so Otto goes to the king and says, Damon and Rhaenyra. Okay, so if we are, if we are starting to do a, a whiteboard of people doing dumb shit, right? I would say that this goes up there with Ned Stark going to Cersei and being like, I know those kids are bastards. Hey, lady, I know them kids with those blonde hairs are not not my best friend's kids. We're going to put these both on the same place on the whiteboard, which is what the fuck were you thinking? So I auto Hightower overplays his cards here. So he goes to Viserys and is like, Damon and Rainier were seen together at, at the brothel doing brothly things. And uh, I think the word he uses is coupling, which I'm like, bleh, bleh. it's a very Gwyneth Paltrow. And Viserys is like, a, like again, not a very good king, but like not a terrible dad. Because yeah. he pretty much tells Otto to fuck off and says, bring me the gossiper because I'll pluck his eyes out myself. And you can tell he's just tired of Otto, but also a good friend doesn't tell you this gossip. I don't know how to explain it. Well, other he's than trying. Like, he played the piece wrong, right? Otto Hightower is brilliant, but ultimately what he did here is he miscalculated his her father's he, love. Yeah, exactly. And here's why that matters. It's because he doesn't understand love like that because he doesn't see his daughter as a human. Right. So he never cared about being like, my daughter's going to go fuck that old dude. Not at all. Right. So he can't imagine um, anyone having this care for their child, whereas their child is just a, a avenue to, to power. Right. Um, but this conversation, Allison overhears it. So back to Rhaenyra, she's making her, making her way downtown, down her room. Right. Um, I mean, she- I will say, get it, girl. I yeah. would be doing it with this man. I mean, she got a man. <laughs> she I, like she I, got herself some manses that she got herself some manses that swore <laughs> swore. That, oh, it was like blue balls to, white. To a bit. Yeah, blue balls white. Um, and beautifully so, shot. Beautifully shot. <laughs> beautifully shot. Because it didn't show her, like, the thing that you know when these women, these um, miraculous creature directors, because we need more women directors in every way, shape, and form, like, you're not seeing her, 
and I'm going to get graphic for a second, kids, right? You know, like when she is on top of, you know, Christian Cole, you, she, you don't, they're not showing you her breasts. They're showing you her face and that she's getting actual pleasure out of this very important that female gaze is the difference right if i had to choose a sex episode to watch i'm glad it was this one still i'm glad you watched the sex episode (laughs) this sex episode no wish it wasn't this one on the on the big screen but cool um so just to fast forward fast back no rewind there we go just to rewind for a second uh rainiera comes in she's like not on my watch you me christian cole we're gonna go have sex 45 minutes later, after they unleash him from the 500th, like, thing that he has, like, strapped on his body, right? Honestly, that was foreplay. It was foreplay, and it was very sexy. And And I was, like, here for it. As someone who has gone for multiple celibate men, and it's kind of her kink, like, definitely (laughs) a scene that I was like, I get it. I totally get it. Marcy, what is your kink? Former priest seminarians. That's my shit. Y'all, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking, but not really. Not really. Listeners, am, this is I where am, that narrator voice comes on, like in Arrested Development. Narrator, she was she, not playing. She was not playing. She was not kidding. Uh, you know, my husband is former seminarian. I've, I've dated others. I don't know. I don't know. Men in Black. I don't know. I don't know. A Jedi. I would have fucked a Jedi, 100%. Who but, wouldn't have? I know, but they're technically the same thing. They're celibate. Or but are they? And then that causes the de- men destroy right. everything because the moment they break that fucking up, we're Yo, fucked. but like it is such a sexy scene because this is a sex scene where the person offering the vulnerable thing is the man. His entire life, his neck, literal neck is on the line and he says yes. She's entirely in control of me. I'd say yes to her too. And you know how, you know. I know. I, I'd say, look, I would say yes to everyone in this room. Everyone. Except Even, for Tetnai. Except for Tetnai. Like, like, just like, again, beautifully shot scene. Very empowering. To your point, her pleasure is prioritized. She has full, like, engagement on the whole thing. Cool. The, the next day, Allison's like, so no one knows that her and Sir Christian Cole had sex, right? No one. Damon doesn't know. Allison doesn't know. No one knows. But the next day, Rhaenyra is like basking in the glow of first sex. I will say I laughed when she got on top because I kept thinking of Ladybird, where she's like, do you know what it's like to get on top while losing your virginity? And I just could hear Ladybird during that whole scene. Um, but she seems fine. She seems fine. But then Allison is Allison Summers like the queen would like to see you. They go outside and Allison bombards her really aggressively with questions like, where were you last night? What were you doing? And all of us should have felt in that moment, shit, Rainier doesn't know which piece Allison has. And again, for the rest of this show, for however many seasons we have, no one in the bloody room has all pieces of the puzzle which means anyone can overplay underplay accidentally play their card so Rhaenyra does a smart thing she tries to figure out exactly what Allison is talking about right she could have very easily been like I I I we didn't like thinking about Christian Cole right not about Damon but she realizes that Rhaenyra Rhaenyra realizes that Allison's referring to to Damon and like (laughs) 
Twitter and TikTok went nuts on this, but she's like, I swear, I swear he didn't touch me on my mother. And I'm like, um, um, um babes, babes, he Look, definitely gonna, did. I'm going to stand you until the end of time. I will even stand that you think so little of swearing on a dead person. Cause so do I like literally they're dead. Who gives a shit? Right. But, but still- do you think that she's classifying it that way? Because like, I mean, I read it and let me know if I'm wrong. I didn't think that there was penetrative sex between her and Damon because there he wasn't. has ED. There, there wasn't. So there wasn't. I think that she's not lying. She's like, look, he like we made out. Yeah. He like, you know, we, uh, you know, hello. But like he didn't fuck me. <laughs> it's like it's like you can only get pregnant if you're on top. Like, let's be real. Let's just be honest here. Yeah, no, yeah, 100%. I will say, I, I'm going to push back on, this bitch didn't know about sex yesterday. Exactly. She didn't she know about sex not, She has not had the talk. Which means, I think that we can read it both and, like, either or. Like, I'm going to actually choose to read it, as this is the first time we, as an audience, should understand that Rhaenyra is more than capable of lying and deceit. Yeah, we know that her mom is the most important person in the world to her. She just swore on her cold, ashy body that she did not. Damon didn't touch her, and like I don't give a shit if you don't know what what penetrative sex is or anything like that, baby, baby doll. You were in the in the stomach of the flea bottom brothel, like gyrating to your uncle. Like it, it's it's not. It's I think it's supposed to let us know girl can lie she's going to lie right um so then we pan over to and and allison you get a sense that she really the mother card worked which is why i'm like again we've got two very strategic people the build-up particularly to two strategic leaders right i like that she lied i'd lie too i would lie too um but we we pan over to damon who's hungover as fuck he's a mess um, I'm hoping the audience is starting to understand that standing Damon is not exactly where we should be. I get it. I totally get it. But he's a fucking mess. He walks in hungover. Um, and like Viserys is like furious and he lies. So again, both of them lie because Damon's like, yeah, I fucked her. Right. And like Viserys is like, you ruined her. Like, you're a plague, you were sent to destroy me, you are no conqueror, which I read that you are no conqueror as double-sorted of, like, a conqueror of land, but also you didn't conquer my daughter. I don't know if you read it like that, but that's how I read it. Yeah. And I was like, this Sarah's dad really shows up. Like, if you put 80s sitcom music over Viserys, you get a really cute, like, snapshot of like thank you for being my dad <laughs> right um but, but this what is the it's first saying to us though is i you know i read it for the first time it was like oh, okay to the viewers that haven't read the books like she's gonna end up with someone and it's probably her uncle 100 percent. and this is the first time that damon speaks it into into being right he's like give yeah. me rainier at a wife and we'll return the house of the dragon to its proper glory he doesn't he doesn't like even gawk at, at like I'm I'm about to throw this out, right? Um and Viserys is like, out, out. I'm sorry I let you in again. Out, right? 
Um, and Caraxes is like, man, we gotta go back to back again. And I gotta fly again. Again, right? But here we have two, we have two liars. We have two liars now, right? I the the whiteboard, we got two. Technically, we got a lot more, but of our main characters, we've got two currently lying. We do not have Allison on a lie yet. Um, so Allison tells Viserys, like, I believe her. I don't think they had sex. I don't think, I think she was just innocent and like had no idea what was going on and, and whatever. And Viserys talks to Rhaenyra, right? And like, he's like, you, he's got the egg on the conqueror dagger, right? And he's like, you know what we are working with here, right? Like we have the prophecy. You carry the prophecy now from me for the prince that was promised, the song of ice and fire. Don't fuck this Which shit. is a red herring because it actually doesn't mean anything because George R. R. Martin or maybe the TV writers destroyed us. It was always supposed to be Danny. <laughs> um, I don't think it was. I, I don't, but. I think but it is way, John, but we're going to find out more. We'll find out. We'll find out. We'll find out uh, when. R when plus J. <laughs> R plus J equals um I can't R plus L equals J. We we clowned so hard for so many years, and we're gonna clown again. We're gonna clown again properly with all of the book right in front of me. I'm still clowning, right? But either way, Viserys is like, babes, you you know what's at stake. You can't be out here pretending you're on Love Island. You can't. <laughs> Can you do the accent? I can't, babes. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can't blame a hoe for wanting to hoe right <laughs> like i I, gonna like, hoe. I love her i'm like yes sex positivity yes two men and women. i love this sure. episode sure and i love that she's like and i'll lie about it and i'll lie about it and i'm still gonna be queen and i'm we'll still go on Mar- we'll go on westeros's version of mari tomorrow yeah, exactly. and guess what he will not be the father she's still so confident in this conversation with her dad and like and like when her dad's like you can't be that irresponsible rumors and she's like if i were a man i could sleep with whoever i wanted and i'm like oh she doesn't have taylor swift to listen to so she doesn't know she doesn't know that she's not a man therefore the rules are not the same um and viserys literally lets her know but you're a woman and you're gonna marry sir lanor valerian because I need to fix the stepstone situation and you owe me one now. So boom, there we go. You got to marry him. You got to marry him. Uh, the two most powerful houses in the realm of old Valyrian blood. We're going to come together. We're going to kick ass. You, me, that dude. Not you, not Hermione. Not Hermione. <laughs> like, and like, here's the thing. This is what happens when you um, fuck around and wait to find out. Fuck around and find out. Because <laughs> he's right. Rhaenyra owes him a solid because she technically does. he could have fully acknowledged what had happened and been like, Aegon becomes king. You go fend for yourself, right? Um, and Rhaenyra actually takes it pretty strategically, again, because she's like, fine, I guess. Okay. However, the only reason we're here, the only reason we're here is because of Otto. Otto, who was spying on the heir apparent, which, by the way, is treason. His side chick. Who, who sent his daughter to your room to secure the bag, and you're such a fucking idiot, you didn't see it. So, sure, I'll marry him if you fucking 
like rise to the occasion and get rid of that treasonous auto, right? And to everyone's surprise, right, myself included, Viserys is like, damn right. I'm tired of Otto. And well, she she realizes it because Viserys felt that point that we're talking about in the last episode when he's like, hey, yeah, like you should totally marry your daughter to your two-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like he I, was I, like, say what, girl? Overplayed his 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 cards, overplayed the the ability for Viserys to see himself reflected in Otto. Right. So Viserys does meet with Otto the next day and he keeps saying like five days, man, it took five days for you to become the second most powerful person in the realm when five days earlier you were nobody. And it's like he's saying something really important there, which is no one climbs that high in five days who's not like a fucking monster. Right. And like Viserys is like, Allison you you placed allison you did that you got us to where we are right now and you're the one who came here to ruin my daughter's like reputation you are compromised you're compromised you're a grandfather you're compromised right not that he said you're a grandfather but like because he doesn't feel grandfatherly towards aegon he feels strategic towards aegon but for Viserys, it's like fuck you and Otto, like legit looks like a deer in headlights he realized he screwed yes he screwed up he screwed up he screwed up and there's no way to get around it right um yeah there's and i can no longer trust your judgment yep um and then we have the final scene which again a reminder that king's landing in westeros has better um like better uh reproductive care than 16 states <laughs> currently yeah. um a maester comes into rainier's room where she's just smiling in a man. beautiful jar by the way like i really want that glass i would like plan b to really consider a special collection the oh my Westeros god game of thrones plan b i i would i would buy that shit up i would it was gorgeous hbo if you're listening call <laughs> plan me B, if you're listening i happen but- to know somebody um but she's sitting there and i love this scene because she is smiling to herself she went from like teenage virgin to like straight up having sex with the person she wanted to have sex with fooling around with someone she shouldn't have sex with and completely removing the the second most powerful man in the realm all in one day and not getting caught on any of it or pregnant (laughs) well she will not be pregnant because this is a really interesting scene that I believe we are supposed to read as her dad's love. So I will say my, my husband Brent read this as, Oh, her dad thought she was lying. I read this as her dad's protecting her. Yeah. Her dad's protecting her in case she is pregnant. The duplicity of how we read this is about who we are and how we see ourselves reflected in these characters. There is not a right answer to some of these, right? You can 100% read this as him being like, fucking take this because you could be pregnant. I don't, I didn't believe you, right? And I'm still king and you have to take it. Or we can read it as I've got your back. Here you go. It's, it's, it's a little bit of both for me. It's like, okay, girl, like you're going to do this thing because you're cool. Like it's cool, but like, you're going to get married, 
but you need to take care of whatever could potentially happen. Or it says maybe a nice chamomile tea. Maybe you're not pregnant. I'm just saying let bygones be bygones. Yeah. 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 Um, and like the maester's like, it's so you know, you don't have unwanted things. Have a good night. Bye. And like bye. Goes, oh, bye. Drink and with I- plenty of water. Right, right. Um, end scene, uh, end of the episode. And we are starting to see that everyone now, except for Allison, I don't think she's there yet. She will be. Um, a mother's love becomes very, very powerful, soft power. Um, but it's a great ending to this episode. And it's a great ending to an episode that was, that was I think, established. We're no longer children. And I think that's what this episode is trying to say. Like we're going to transition probably at some point in the next episode in episode five to their adult forms. And I think what it's supposed to say to all of us is we're no longer kids. We're no longer kids. And I think episode five is where we will get the same exact treatment, but for Allison. So we got an entire episode that lets us effectively watch Rhaenyra grow up, grow up and join the game of Thrones. I think even though we we have said it, like they're both doing the best they can as kids playing the game of adults. I think Rhaenyra has now joined the big leagues. I think this next episode, episode five, will be Allison joining the big leagues. And we will, and next episode is confirmed, the last episode with the young actors. We will transition to the song of Ice and Fire in episode six. So I'm really excited. Um, am I gonna go watch it on the big screen again? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> baby um is it gorgeous yes uh is it legal i don't know so hbo you're not listening but like leave them alone okay um but i just i really like this episode i've i'm i've embarrassingly watched it three times and not for the sex i like for just how how masterful the human part of the storytelling is in between all of the like um Slutterween Horror Nights, right? Like, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. Millie carries this episode on her back in a way that is tremendous. Like, tremendous. I would love to see the young actors get awarded or at least nominated for some of this stuff. Nominated. I don't know if it deserves an award, but like nomination. Just like, I mean, to carry an episode of such complexity entirely as a kid, right? And I'm I'm no longer in my 20s. Um, I have not been in my 20s for a while, but I think she's like, what, like early 20s? She's, yeah, I got to figure out. Yeah, she's young. She's young. Um, So, so yeah. So we'll see everyone on Sunday. We'll see Uh, you then. I will be back to live tweeting this Sunday. Um, So I'll see you all on TikTok and on Twitter. Bye. Bye, John. Bye.